All right, take your Bible and join me in Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me give you a, just a little context for this morning. Um, <clears throat> number one, uh, we will be off for five weeks, which means there's a significant interlude. So whatever I might say about the first section of James will be long gone by the time we regather in August. And uh, so I'm going to jump into chapter 5, which is where we have arrived uh, in August, Lord willing. Um, Number two, um, during my uh, recent uh, opportunity to share with so many of you regarding the foundation, the why and the what of marriage, uh, one of the things that we highlighted was the foundational priority that marriage requires in order to enjoy its benefit. Marriage is designed to solve an aloneness problem. Intimacy is the antithesis of aloneness. Soulish oneness is an essential foundation, a unity between two different people in order to enjoy the blessing and benefit of what God designed in the marriage. The two shall become one flesh. And the word flesh can be a physical union. It also can be translated soul. It could be translated one sold. Marital math, one plus one equals one. So it's two different people, a guy and a girl. She's a girl. She's different than a guy. No matter what you hear in the culture, by way of DNA, by way of biology, by way of creation, by way of purpose, they're designed differently, men and women. So one was made from the dust, the man, one was fashioned from the rib, inorganic, organic, different substance, different method. God formed the man, God fashioned the woman. Those are two different words. One is functional, formed. It means to shape. I like to say men are mud men. They're shaped. And women are fashioned. They are custom designed, a work of art. They're made differently out of different things. They come from different cultures. My wife was born in Arkansas, grew up in Virginia. I was born in Pennsylvania, grew up in New Jersey. That's a big difference. And two people that are different are coming together, and what marriage is designed to do and requires is essential soulish unity. And so I recognize, and I said at the time we shared together with that group that gathered, I had something that I typically like to teach on resolving conflict, dealing with differences. And when I acknowledged that I wasn't going to have the time to do that, there was an apparent frustration that I could observe with those who perhaps would have benefited and maybe needed that particular priority. So today is driven by the reality to deal with differences constructively. The reason we, and that's for marriage, and some of you are going, well, yeah, I'm not married or we're living in marital bliss. We're as united as we've ever been. Well, God bless you. Enjoy those hours and minutes because it won't take long until that is challenged. But I want to add to that this reality. Housed in a worthy walk as a Christian is the essential promotion and preservation of unity. Differences being resolved in a oneness in the body, in the community. So even if we're not talking marriage... We're talking about the need to mature in our ability to constructively deal with differences. The body of Christ is diverse, red and yellow, black and white, young and old, variety of cultures. We come together in community. This is family. And housed in our coming together is a a requirement, an imperative, a priority that is often diminished that needs to be elevated. And I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul begins to apply the effects of the bombastic blessings of justification by faith and God choosing us before we even entered into the world and, and securing us by His Spirit, the gift of Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the reconciliation, the transformation, all the bombastic benefits that are ours because of what God granted us in Jesus Christ ought to have an effect. And that's why verse 1 
Ephesians 4 reads this way, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you, that's implore, it's, it's compellingly to persuade, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Worthy is, it's consistent with the weight of what God has done, walk in a way that reflects that. Now watch this, verse 2, with all humility, do you see the word all? That's, that's comprehensive, that's full-blown, it's not part-time, it's not turning it on just a little bit, it's opening it wide open, all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Now look at verse 3, these are imperatives, these are priorities, these are reflections of worthy living and walking, whether you're in a marriage or in a church or in a family, being diligent. That means work, sweat equity, spudazzo. It means to put forth every effort to the point of pain. Don't delay it. Don't procrastinate. Do it. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he highlights the rationale and the ground for that is because we're one. We're one. We are the product of one body, one spirit. We're called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all is over all and through all and in all. So we enjoy these benefits from God. We're united together in the family of God, and we're called and commissioned and required by God to diligently work hard, put forth effort, to protect and promote the oneness that is to be enjoyed and to be displayed in the body of Christ. So whether it's in the marriage where it's obviously harder because of the proximity, the, the two people, different people living in close proximity, because of the humanity, our weakness, because of depravity and the enemy, there's injury. And when there's injury... There's division and distance, potentially. So the bottom line is we want to work at this because God has commissioned us to pursue this. Now take your Bible again and turn to Psalm 133. Familiar, so I'm just going to remind you because I want, as I often do, want to motivate you to own this. Grace Community Church is about learning the truth, but learning it isn't the goal. The goal is doing it. The goal of our instruction is what? Love. Living it out. So knowing it and being able to say it, as a matter of fact, it's hard on your children. It's hard on the people who know you when they come to believe that you know a lot and yet you don't live differently. My children and my wife expect me to live consistent with what they think I know. I was saying something to my son yesterday, you know, I don't ever get a break. And what I meant by that is, in humanity, you fumble. Yeah, but dad, you ought to live out what you teach. Does anybody think that's fair? That is fair. You're a Christian. If you're confessing Christ, we need to aim and model and express and communicate and live in a way consistent with that. Can you say amen to that? So there's an obligation. It's not meant to be condemnation. This is meant to say, you know what? I got to level up. All right, here you are, Psalm 33. This is the same theme. Uh, It just is an encouragement, just as a motivator, because you're going to forfeit some things if you neglect this or diminish its priority. Behold, When you see the word behold, it's like saying, hey, listen to this. Be like the lights going off and the lights coming on and boom, highlighted is this. Behold, pay attention. How good, and I love this, and how pleasant it is for brothers, that's family members in the covenant group of God, to dwell together in what? Unity. That's oneness. No division, no distance, no disconnect. Verse 2, when that happens, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. 
All right, this is the anointing oil. This is the high priest. This is the God connector. This is the, 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 the uh, mediator between God and man. That's what a priest was, representing God to the people. And this anointing oil, which was perfumed and fragrant, and it, was, it had a formula. It was highly precious, highly valued. And, it's, and it says, listen, when you're unified, it's like that fragrant oil that flowed down from Aaron's beard, depicting the blessing of God. It's, it's fragrant. It's pleasing. Think that. It's like perfume. Karen and I went to the Huntington with my son and daughter-in-law recently, the Huntington Library, and I don't know if you've been there. I liked it so much I became an annual member, and it's like an oasis, and recently the roses bloomed. Anybody been to the Huntington? Yeah, I'm not selling tickets, but it's the, the roses blooming in, I think it's the early part of May when we were there. They were stunning. And uh, I don't know if it was appropriate because I didn't see a lot of people doing it, but I couldn't walk by hardly any variety, and there are a lot of them, without testing the fragrance. You know that, oh, honey, you got to smell this one. <laughs> and, and some had a lot, and some had a little. That fragrance is life-giving. It's... Mm. That's why women wear perfume. Okay, it's not just to attract. It's pleasing. And this is what unity does. It's a sweet fragrance that highlights the blessing of God. Number two, he goes on to say, it, this unity, is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion For there the Lord commanded the blessing, that's Zion, life forevermore. All right, the dew, you're working the fields, the mountaintops, snow-covered cold. You've been to Yosemite and Yellowstone and those places when there's snow on the mountains and you're down below and that cool air comes down. Imagine working in the field. Imagine working in the valley. Imagine it being hot and imagine that cool air flowing over you. That's more than pleasing. That's refreshing. Now, listen to me. The reason you want to prioritize this pursuit, because this comes down from Zion, the Mount of God, where there is blessing forevermore. Let me tell you what you forfeit when you discount unity, whether it's in your marriage, your family, or your church with one another is you forfeit that which is very pleasing from God. You forfeit the refreshing, life-giving, soulish invigorating that comes from God. This is how it is. You need to prioritize it, not discount it. And today I want to talk about how to achieve it. Okay, so this is like a, a checklist Um, recently we celebrated 41 years, part of our, Karen and Harry have been married 41 years, and we uh, had a little getaway together, just a day to kind of reflect, which is what we do, and housed in that reflection was the desire, honey, I'm 65, she's 62, I don't have many miles left, I mean, that's, he's just humbling, 65, that's old, (laughs) At least it used to be, <laughs> right? And you're going, man, what do you want to do before we can't do it? <laughs> I'd like to have a travel trailer. So really, so we've been watching those YouTube videos where they tell you how to do it and why life's better on the road, all of that. And there's something kind of romantic about that whole idea of abandoning all the responsibility. Let's just go. Sell it all. You've seen those videos? Yeah, you kind of want to sign up for that. So we got a little travel trailer this uh, past week. Got a used one from a guy down in Orange, and he towed it up for me, and we got it sitting in the driveway. We slept in it twice this week. <laughs> We're camping in the driveway. <laughs> and we want to pull it somewhere this week, okay, because it's summertime at Masters, and so a little more freedom of schedule, and so we need to get out and use it. You know what? There are, there are a ton of things you've got to get right or you're going to screw up this 
potential happy outing. There's a list of things to do, and you do them in this order. And if you don't, you can sabotage what should have been a great day, a great experience, because you didn't go through the list. All right, now, with that lengthy thought, this is a list. This is a checklist. These are attitudes and actions, biblical and practical, I want to offer you today to say, listen, if you buy into this priority, this is what you do in order to navigate the differences. This is constructive. And that's my hope and prayer as we open God's Word today and consider this extreme and important priority. All right, let's talk about the foundation. This is the attitude. Number one, the first thing, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I've got lots of verses as I typically do, and this is not an exposition of a section. This is an exhortation from several sections that are meant to highlight priorities. So the path to wellness, the path to unity. Number one, this is foundational. This is an attitude thing. I tell my family and I'll tell you, attitude is everything. And you don't show a good attitude until you're in a bad attitude situation. And this is foundational to the attitude that promotes unity. Number one, express genuine and equal concern for the person you're seeking to connect with, communicate with, unite with. Express genuine, equal concern for your partner, your mate, your your husband, your wife, or your fellow brother or sister. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you know we're equal by creation. Like men are not better than women because they were created first. We both bear the image of God. We both share creation dignity. Two, we have both been redeemed by the blood of Christ. There's neither male nor female, rich nor poor, bond or free. We share an equal status before God as a Christian. So if you're dealing with a a spouse, you're dealing with an equal. If you're dealing with a Christian, you're dealing with an equal. 1 Corinthians 12 is saying we also have functional equality in the sense that we're all designed and gifted by God to contribute to the work of God. We're a body by analogy. We function collectively with diversity in unity, and we ought to act like everybody in the body is valuable. And you feel in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this priority when you read, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, but now there are many members but one body. Okay, this is a reference to the body of Christ, many members, key words, one body, one entity. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. If not seen, even though small, 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. In other words, you don't see them, but you need to value them because some of them are more valuable by way of function than that which you see. Verse 24, whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body. Watch this. Giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that Look at verse 25. Here's the key word verse. That there should be no division in the body. The word is schisma. Okay, schism. Gap, split, disconnection. No disconnection or split in the body. When things are disconnected, they injure the function. That there should be no division in the body, but that the members, here you go, should have the same care. Think equal concern for one another. All right, here's the bottom line for today. 
I'm entering into a conversation that is, I'm hoping, will be constructive. There are differences. The attitude you come into that conversation is, we're equal. I have concern for you, as much concern for you as I have for me. Which leads to this conclusion. It must be a win-win situation. If it's not good for you, it's not good for me. The attitude is equal concern. Your concerns matter to me. And the attitude is we're seeking a win-win outcome. And if it's not good for you, then it's not going to be good for me. And that's an attitude. That's a priority. That's a commitment. It needs to be a target that says win-win, equal concern. Number two, turn to Philippians chapter two. Second principle is express greater concern. Greater concern. Greater concern for them than for yourself. You're familiar with this but I'll highlight it again because you have the the reality of chapter 2 when it begins. You see some conditional words, if, and this is a first-class condition, which basically needs to be understood, not if it might be true, but since it is true. Since, therefore, there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, since there is consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, since there is affection and compassion in the body of Christ, make my joy complete, How? By being of the same mind, that's unity, priority, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do you feel the flavor? We're united. We're committed. We have the same passions, priorities. We're seeking the same ends. In order to accomplish that, therefore, verse 3, do nothing. Nothing is nothing. Not some things, but no things from selfishness, that's self-interest, or empty conceit, that's the priority of self that's hollow, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. You're more important than I am. It's not just your equal. Same concern. It's greater concern. Do not merely look out, verse 4, for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then the kind of magnus opus of this example is the attitude, the mind that is in, have it in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's going to illustrate by saying, listen, if the king of everything who enjoyed the glories and prerogatives of heaven and all of the privileges thereof was willing to exchange that glory in order to serve you, you ought to be willing to sacrifice to serve others. Christianity is modeled by people who have the mind of Christ and they display the attitude, the humble attitude that says, I want to express greater concern." for you. Not just a win-win, but a you-pick-first concern. And to illustrate that, uh, you can write it down, but in Genesis chapter 13, you have an expression of this humility. When Abraham, or Abram, had conflict with his shepherds, and Lot had shepherds that were in conflict with Abram's shepherds because the land wouldn't support the large flocks. And so the Bible says in Genesis 13, 7, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So you've got disunity, you've got conflict, you have strife because you only have one plot of land And it won't sustain both. 
So something has to change. Genesis 13, 8, Then Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. And listen to what he said. We're family members. And there's a peace priority. That priority is so high, we've got to solve this. Prioritize peace. Now, Abraham had seniority. This is his nephew. In that culture, age, priority of station, gave rank an opportunity for decision. But Abram says, we can't have strife. Verse 9, chapter 13, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. I think this is a wonderful, illustrative expression of the humility that says, I prioritize unity, peace. I'm not going to accept this. We can't accept this. You pick first. What is it that you want? I'll take what it is you don't want. Now, you know the story, or if you do, if you don't, here it is. God says to Abram after he makes that decision, and Lot picked the fertile plains, he picked the cities, he picked the wealthy, lush, whatever. He picked what appeared to be, from a human vantage point, the richer treasure. And God spoke to Abram and said, listen, I'm going to give you it all. I'll take care of you. You trust me. Now, let me summarize briefly. Here's the bottom line on peace building. Number one, you matter to me. You matter more to me than what I want matters to me. It needs to be a win-win. And number two, you pick first. So if you're doing the budget, where's the money go? Well, you obviously have some bills to pay, and those things ought to be a priority so people don't come and take you away from your new travel trailer. <clears throat> you, you need to pay some bills, but after that, hopefully you've got a little something to make decisions about. What are we going to do with this? You pick first. This is the holiday. This is vacation week. What do you, you want to do? What do you want to watch? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to eat? It's an attitude that says, you matter most to me. Number three, you need to commit to constructive communication because all difference resolution is the product of constructive communication. I'm going to give you a quick list in the time that we have that I'm going to call the, the checklist of activity. Okay, so those were the attitude checklist. Don't have this conversation if you don't have a biblical attitude for this conversation. Part of dying daily involves deferring and elevating others above yourself. All right, number one, this is the practice checklist. Number one, chart the issues or clarify the issues. Clarify the problem. Describe the issue in a few words. What is it that we're struggling with? Is it relational priorities, money priorities or money matters, child rearing, child bearing, discipline, relative relations, career choices? home issues, roles and responsibilities, who should clean up, who should fix up, what are we going to do with our discretionary time or resources, what are the priorities we're going to pursue as a family. Listen, prioritize clarifying the issues. 
describe the issue in a few words in a way that you can find and foster agreement. Is this the issue? Because I've been guilty in certain circumstances, whether at home or with other people, of not identifying and clarifying the issue. It's really not the issue. It's something else. Is this the issue? I uh, did a little work this week just to see what the issues were, at least by today's evaluation, as to what promotes divorce and disconnection in marriage and um, some of the things that they highlighted as the top reasons why people disconnect relationally and grow apart is they compete. There's competition in the marriage for time together, priority for each other. People or things are elevated as a greater priority. So I'm not the priority. Even though I promised you you would be, you're not. Even though you promised me that I would be, but I'm not. Competition, people or things. Arguing and conflict can't resolve. That's why we're talking a little bit about this. People injure one another. One uh, professor from the University of Washington said, avoid these lethal habits, personal criticism, sneering contempt, stonewalling, defensiveness. You just can't work through issues, so it escalates, and you injure one another. Those kinds of things contribute, obviously, a lack of trust, whether it's with money or your fidelity to your honoring this relationship above all others, big contributors. What are the issues? Identify those issues. Work-life balance would be another one. Well, you're never home. You're never available to me. You're always on the phone. Those kind of things that can create distance, identify what the real issue is, chart the issues, clarify the problems, describe the issue in a few words. And let me just parenthetically say this, going back to the differences. My way of looking at the world is my way of looking at the world. I have a certain personality. I grew up in a certain part of the country. I have a certain kind of default way of looking at things. I deal with life differently than Karen does. When you're dealing with people not yourself, you need to assume the way they process, the way they deal with things is different than the way you deal with them. I can make a decision quickly. I can buy that car today. Karen's not buying that car today. <laughs> and if I buy that car today, even though it's a great deal and it's everything that I would have wanted or we needed, she's not ready to buy that car today. And let me just give you a little insider perspective. I don't know how long I went in my journey of marriage before I realized that just because she says I'm with you, at the time of the sale, doesn't mean she's with me. (laughs) I never wanted you to buy that. We never should have bought that. (laughs) Honey, you were there. You said okay. (laughs) You're laughing because some of you agree with that. Some of you are elbowing. That's my story. What's wrong with you? You said you would. I asked you. Well, here's the deal. Karen's a processor. She's also a pleaser, a supporter. She wants her husband to be happy. She wants to support me. And guess what I am? A persuader. (laughs) So by the time, she has no chance, right? Got 10 reasons why we ought to buy it. The salesman doesn't have to do any work at all. (laughs) We walk out. We got the keys. We're ready to go. She's not ready to decide. She needs process time because we're different. Is one better than the other? It isn't better than the other. It's different. So understanding the differences can help you personality-wise, approach to things-wise, 
What kind of person is your spouse or the person you're dealing with so that you can grant them what they need to get where we need to go? And for me, at least, in my home, it involves time. Hey, I'd like to do this. You think about it. If you're good with it, I'm good with it. If you're not good with it, at the end of the week, I'm not good. I don't care if that great deal's gone because that's typically the pressure that'll get put there. Hey, man, you buy this one. It's the last one we have. understand the uniqueness of their personality and what they need. Some of you are processors. You just need time to process. Others of you, you process really fast. Listen, if you're in a marriage, God puts you with that person for a purpose. No matter how you got into it, you're in it. That's your partner. And they're bringing assets to the table not to slow you down, or to speed you up, but to compliment you, to prevent you from functioning in a way that denies you the potential that could have been achieved. So take the time to get to know one another and the process patterns. I can tell you honestly, humbly, and sadly that I was many years into our marriage relationship where I finally understood that difference. All right, number two. Number one is clarify the problem, chart the issues, describing the issue in a few words, kind of agreeing with that. And then number two, commit to resolving the issue. Commit to it. I'm just going to bullet point some things for the sake of time. Commit to the time to work through it. Some things, you, it doesn't go fast. Pick the right time and, pick, and, and make a commitment to the time. Don't have the hard conversation when you're tired or whether you're stressed or you're worn out or at the end of the day. Prioritize the best time to deal with harder issues. Commit to the time. Undistracted. Don't do it when you're hungry. (laughs) Commit to resolving the issue. Commit to the time. Secondly, and there's seven of these, commit to the effort. All right, listen, conflict resolution is tiring. It takes effort. You got to focus. You got to stay in it. It can be emotionally turbulent. Commit to the effort. Number three, commit to the place. Look, Pick a conducive place to have the conflict conversation, the difference resolution. Set yourself up for success. You need some privacy. There needs to be a measure of safety. Sometimes people have habits, past tense, of getting angry, red-faced, saying hurtful things. So set yourself up with the support system or the obstacles that will prevent you from having a destructive transaction. Um, you need to think through where you should have this conversation. Obviously, you could get distracted at home. You got kids, you got dogs, you got stuff happening. It cannot, it may not be a good place to take a journey and a long walk. Maybe you need to take a, a walk somewhere together and just have that talk. Number four, commit to the rules. What do I mean by rules? We're not going to raise our voice. If we raise our voices, listen, loud voices don't contribute to constructive outcomes. It's natural, it's just not constructive. Commit to the fact that you're not going to exaggerate or make overstatements. You always do this. Nobody always does anything. Okay, but, but you can say things that provoke a kind of response that un, or is unconstruct, not constructive, destructive. You always, so avoid generalizations or exaggerations. Agree that you're not going to shut down or leave. Sometimes you can get frustrated and vent 
Sometimes you get frustrated and hurt, and you just shut down. Just, I'm committed to that. Commit to the, the priorities that will enable you to be successful. Here's a, is a good rule. Let somebody finish before you interrupt. I'm a bad interrupter. Something's going on. I got a good thought. Let me just give me my thought. Anybody imagine? Karen doesn't like to be interrupted. Somebody a long time ago said, you need to use the spoon method. The spoon method is typically, I guess, imagining you're sitting at the table. You have a spoon, and when the person has the table or has the platform to talk, you give them the spoon. And until they set the spoon down or they give the spoon back, it's not your turn. Now, you would think, I'm 65, didn't I tell you I'm old? You would think I don't need the spoon. But sometimes I forget. It's a great little tool. It's a great asset to help us communicate. So let them finish is the idea. Look at them when they talk. It's very devaluing if somebody's not looking at you when you're talking to them. I mean, I feel that sometimes at church. I tell my seminary students, when people are talking to you, you look them in the eye. I don't care who's coming up or what they want to say to you. You stay right with that. You learn the priority of keeping your focus because when you look away, you're communicating to that person, whoever that person is, somebody else is more important and they're not important at all. Commit to the rules. Let them finish. Here's a good rule. Rehearse what you thought you heard them say. That's how we're going to navigate this. Five, commit to the result. We're going to resolve this. I said that this at the marriage conference. If you're in a marriage, you have no option. Agreeing to disagree on the fundamentals of value and vision is unacceptable. It's a violation of the marriage covenant, period. How we're going to discipline our children, how we're going to do life in Christ, how we're going to do church, how we're going to spend our money. You can't negotiate that. It's not like we're just going to agree to disagree. No, you can't. Well, you can, but what you forfeit is intimacy. And what you forfeit in the body of Christ is the intimacy of the body of Christ because you're not committed to coming to a conclusion. Well, it's just not going to see it that way. You just walk on. Guess what that relationship did? It got stuck wherever you left it. And it's certainly not going to grow and advance. Finally, or sixthly, commit to a coach Listen, I tell people, don't, don't wait till you're in a crisis to get a coach or a counselor or a pastor. As soon as you get stuck and can't get out of that stuck, whether it's with a brother or a sister or with a spouse, solicit help. Say, hey, can, can we talk about this? The gift you cannot give yourself is perspective. I'm subjective. I'm always right. It's the way the world is according to Harry. Guess what the world isn't? The way it is according to Harry. Because there's things I can't see or there's circumstances I don't know. There's perspectives I don't have. I'm in it. That doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me a subjective person. And I need objectivity. So get a coach And I use coach, I'm not talking about a therapist. I'm talking about a Christian who has truth or a friend who understands the Word of God and the principles of God who can listen in. You can have another couple listen in. I used to promote the idea of having a couple of couples, called it a triad, where it's Harry and Karen and two other couples. We get together monthly. We just talk life. And when we have those conversations, and this is the seventh thing, get in community. When you have situations like, hey, I want to buy the trailer. I don't want to buy the trailer. I think we ought to buy the trailer. Let's buy the trailer now. I don't want to buy the trailer now. And you're stuck. And I know that's, that's just 
a recent experience is you have people say, hey, we're thinking about buying a trailer. What do you think? I'll give you all my good reasons. No, actually, honey, you tell them all the reasons that you think X. That kind of community cultivated culture creates the benefit of allies who can see what you don't see. And what I'm going to suggest to you is when the reason there were three couples, two not Harry and Karen, is so that there could potentially be others to give perspective, and I call it themes, where their thoughts align together and you go, you know what, it's not a good time. We're going to punt on that. Because we're submitting to the objectivity of people who care about us, we're sharing with, it's not a fight, it's not an argument. Hey, what do you guys think? And don't do that now, wait. You, you don't know what's coming this summer. Gas prices are whatever. And so you have the benefit of others to give you perspective. Commit to constructive community, that's number seven, after committing to a coach. I would get counsel, constructive, principled counsel, especially if it involves principled and value judgment things. Number three, and I'm just going to say this, communicate with verbal pictures. Help someone understand, listen to me, how you feel. And make sure you understand how they feel. All right, I know in certain circles you discount feelings. I'm a cerebral person. It's all objective. It's all data. No, it isn't. You're a human being. And some things that you do can create a, a feeling that's a handicap to resolution and unity. Hey, when you work all the time, when you spend so much time with everybody else and not time with us, let me tell you what that's like. That's like we've loaded up the trailer. You told me we're going to spend time together. We get up to the gate of Yosemite, and we're the fourth car, and they say park's closed after the third car. So there I am all packed up, ready to go, because you made promises about how we're going to spend time together, and we can't get in. That's how I feel. You know what that is? And by the way, I made all that up, okay? Never heard that in my life. I'm trying to paint a picture for you to help you learn that really, you really feel that way? Yeah, I want to spend time with you. And you said you would. And that's how it makes me feel. I get all excited. Man, we're going to get to do stuff together. And then you, you detour on me. This is how it makes me feel. Use a verbal picture. Some people are better at that. You can work at it. I think it's helpful. Number four, connect by listening. Listening. All right, let me give you Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. I think that's why James talks about living in vibrant Christianity. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Obviously, listen to the Word of God, but listen to the people of God. Be slow to speak. Listen. The wise in heart, Proverbs 16, 21, the wise in heart will be called discerning. Discerning because they're learning by listening. They see, they understand. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So because you understand, the implication is you also can respond in a way that's congruous to that. Connect by listening. Here's a, kind of a reinforcement of the idea of rehearse what you thought you heard them say. Proverbs fifteen twenty three: a man finds joy in giving an apt answer. And how good is a timely word? Housed in that verse is the word meditate. But to give an apt answer, you got to think. You have to process and actually think and wrestle with, what should I say? What's the right response? Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. 
Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. A fool, Proverbs 18, 2, finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. You've ever had a conversation with a person like that? How much fun did you have? Me neither. Be the person that seeks to understand. Here's a good good axiom. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Proverbs 18, 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. All right, number five, control your words and your tone. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Through, the patient, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, Proverbs 25, 15, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. It is a fallacy to believe that greater influence is, is achieved when I raise my voice. A gentle tongue can break a bone. It's powerful. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil. This is Romans 12, 17, and then 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Control your words and your tone. And know when to quit. Listen to Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Proverbs 20, verse 3, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. Commit yourself to paying attention to tone, attitudes, and words. It matters. Words injure. Tone. 60% of communication is nonverbal. I roll my eyes. Guess what I just said? You got to be kidding me. You're silly. You're, you can say a lot of things without talking. So control your words, control your tone. It matters. Know when to quit. See, I, you know, I, I'll just advocate something uh, kind of as we come to the conclusion here. Uh, pick a word that's a code word for you that when somebody crosses the line, all you have to do is hear that word and all of the interaction straight up stops. It's like somebody pulled the power plug on the vacuum cleaner or the lawnmower. In my house, and I'm giving you my word, it's bananas. If somebody says bananas, we're done. It's not I've got to say another word, I've got to say another statement, I've got to make sure you heard what I was saying. Bananas at my house is, we're done. We're done because it's not constructive. We're done because I'm not communicating or being heard. It's a word which says, we agree that when we say this, we're finished. Now, it doesn't mean we're finished the issue. We're finished talking about that issue right now. Because right now, we're on a path that's not constructive. It's destructive. And for me, whoever says it, we're pushing the pause button. Number six, consider key factors. Consider the scriptures. Consider the perspectives of the other person. And you understand the scriptures. The Bible is the guide, the compass. If the Bible speaks to issues specifically or principally, you need to hear it. It has authority. Consider the views of others. Consider pros and cons. Consider key factors. And then I like this. Consider all the options. Sometimes there's creative options you haven't thought about. All right, and finally, consider the high value of peace. This is number seven. Consider the high value of peace. I want you to look one more time with me at the Bible, and we'll just read this. And I'll, 1 Peter 
chapter 3. I'm telling you. By the way, anybody doing the cards? Fresh bread, daily, you know, the cards. There may be three of you. <laughs> I, I told you. <laughs> you should, but you won't. Can't figure out why you don't. I know why you don't, but I don't know why we don't. You need fresh bread from the Word of God so you have horsepower. Here's a passage, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're going to memorize anything, you want to meditate on something, your issue is resolving conflict. You need to master this one. All right, let me tell you why. 1 Peter is written to the early church to say, hang in there, it's tough. Endure trial, be faithful. Number two, what you do validates the gospel and it gives glory to God. You're a priest to God. What you say honors Him, excellencies. What you do is meant to honor Him, how you behave. You are a God glorifier and you are a gospel validator. This is what you do. And this is the section that we taught during the marriage conference about submission. Wife submitting to her husband, husband submitting to Christ. I want you to hear these words as conclusion today. Because if you don't get this conviction as a God-glorifying action, I can talk all I want about giving God glory. Hey, I'm at church today. I'm going to worship. I'm going to sing. This is the way you give God glory in real time. How you behave and how you act. Here you go, verse 8. To sum up, in other words, let me bottom line. Let me put it all together. You want to live a God-glorifying, gospel-validating life. Let all be, no exceptions, no exclusions. Everybody in the body of Christ, let all be, do you see this word? Leads the list, harmonious. Has an attitude that says, I want to get along. I want to work this out. Let all be harmonious, sympathetic. I want to feel what you're feeling. I want to feel with you. Brotherly, I'm going to treat you. Philadelphia, I'm going to treat you like a family member. Kind-hearted, used very rarely. It means I will stop and address your need. It's used of the Good Samaritan. He had compassion, showed kindness of heart. So he pulled over to the side of the road and said, I don't care who you are, where you are, what's happened to you. I'm spending my money. I'm investing my time. Kind-hearted. Humble in spirit. I'm going to lower me to elevate you. And I'm not going to return evil for evil or insult for insult. I'm not going to respond in kind. Listen. You're never a Christian when you only treat people well who treat you well. The acid test of our Christianity, whether you're a husband or a wife or a family member, a friend, or a part of the body of Christ, is what you do when they don't deserve it. Not returning evil for evil, insult for insult. Are you ready? But giving a blessing instead. You know what a blessing is? It's a word of affirmation. It can be a blessing to God. God bless Harry. He's aggravating the daylights out of me because he's talking too long and I want to get a good seat in the sanctuary. (laughs) But bless him anyway. And I want to say something good about Harry, even though what he's just done prompts me to want to say something unkind to Harry. Now listen to me. This is the bottom line. For you were called to inherit a blessing. Let him who means to love life and see good days. Anybody want to love life? You want to see a good day today? Refrain his lips from evil, his tongue from speaking guile. Let him pursue peace so that his prayers are answered which is so that God can bless him with the blessing that is rightly his, the dew coming down, the fragrance from the beard, from God himself. And God's going to resist the one who refuses. I'll tell you why you ought to do this. 
blessing from God, glory for God, and gospel validating to the world you're living with and serving in. Can you say amen to that? All right, now forgive me for going five minutes over. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we share to open it. We want to live it. And it's my prayer today that we will commit ourselves to what matters to you so that you're glorified, so the gospel is validated, and we enjoy the life we desire, good life, love life, see good days, for we were called to inherit a blessing. That's our prayer, and we want to live in a way that attracts that very outcome. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.